Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wisdom Collective. I'm Adam Crowell and I'm on this week with Brittany Talissa King. Brittany, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. We finally have some good weather out here in Oregon, so I'm I'm cherishing it very much. Nice. Same yeah, in yeah. Indiana. It's beautiful. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, and so speaking of, um, you're from are you actually from Indiana? I know you went to school there. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. from Columbus, Indiana. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, nope. um, Ohio, like, not Columbus, Indiana. Yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. assumes Ohio, but mm-hmm. now people know of it because Mike Pence is from here. So oh, now sure, people sure. are a little familiar with it. But yeah, I've grown up here, born and raised. Um, and then, yeah, I went to IU and then went to New York, was living there for three years. I'm back here briefly. Um, I'll be moving back to New York in a few months. So but you're here right now in Indiana because of COVID stuff, right? Just like because of COVID. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And and to save some money. New York is getting healthier here. And mm-hmm. and I want to get back there. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Okay. Well, let's give some people a bio for you real quick. So part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, Brittany, where I started following you at first, if it was on Twitter or one of your short clips that someone shared, maybe on uh Facebook or social media somewhere, your shorter videos or commentaries that you do. Um, but at some point there I started following you and um I just love the way you're interacting with a lot of our culture moment conversations in general, but in particular, you had a lot of thoughtful things to say around uh, race relations and tensions and just how uh, we address all of that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I came across your article, which you have pinned up on your Twitter, which we'll make sure we include in the show notes, um, that was really addressing it in a, a nuanced way, which will unpack a lot of that today. But I want to talk to you about that. Um, I want to talk to you about um, just our cultural moment, racial tensions, how we address it, um, your thoughts on that. But also, I don't know how much you've talked about this, but I know you're a Christian as well. Um, and I'm a Christian pastor. So mm-hmm. at, at points, it would be interesting to hear about how your faith has informed either movements that you've made personally, but also how you think, uh, or at least the best ways you think to address um, what we're talking about at the level of popular culture right now. Um, if your faith mm-hmm. is informing that and how it's informing it, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah given the interviews I've listened to, I don't know how much you've unpacked that. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So let's give people a bio though, before we dive in, you graduated from Indiana university and then went to NYU and got a master's and this is all in journalism, right? Um, my undergrad was in writing okay. and concentrated in creative writing, I guess. Um, then I did a minor in literature and then, yeah, I went to NYU and that was focused in journalism, more concentrated in cultural reporting and criticism and then 2019, I graduated. So December 2019, I graduated and that was like graduating right into the pandemic. And yeah. a lot of things were happening then. Um, pandemic stories, George Floyd and all of this stuff. Um, yeah, and then I came back to Indiana, but I was just started to write. And then all of these articles sold out of me. The free thought piece that you, the free black thought piece that you talked about kind of came at me spontaneously, actually. I was working on a lot of different projects and I was looking at the landscape with race and I was seeing all these different voices talking about it, more so black voices of diverse mm-hmm. point of views and how some people were taking account of some voices, but then saying other voices don't have a say in the conversation. And then I start thinking like, not in a judgmental way at those people, but I started looking at them and how they used to reflect on how I used to think. So then I just was like, this is something here. And I, I didn't really didn't know it was going to be a piece. 
I was just getting this out. Like when I have ideas, yes. I like to write it out. That's the best way to make sense for me as a writer and journalist. And then I was like, I think there's something here that I need to say. Um, and it's going to be kind of controversial, controversial because I am talking about the black community. I am talking about, about the fact that we're not a monolith, even though we champion not being one, but in ways we kind of are by how we kind of hinge our stories upon the black narrative, so to speak, like one black narrative speaks for all right. of us. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, on the other side, on the flip side, we say that we each are our own narrative. So I just wanted to kind of showcase how that is true, but how it's not by the way that we talk about ourselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I and then. But that article, I mean, it within, I don't know if viral is the right word, but it blew up to a certain degree. I mean, it was all over the place. I mean, it definitely got spread around on Twitter and online quite a bit, um, especially, yeah. I mean, given our cultural moment and everything, it was. It was an interesting take on things for sure. Yeah. That and that happened in the most ironic way because um during NY, when I was at NYU, like the last semester, um, I started having like this, I call it a mental breakdown because of how I was thinking. Like during mm -hmm. criticism, obviously you're introduced to different writers, thinkers, philosophers, and everything like that. But there are certain moments where things were really challenging who I was as a person, like mm -hmm. not as a black person, like who I was like deep within like my moral self. And it had a lot to do with how I process things and ideas and beliefs. And I was like, is this what I believe? Or do I just believe this because of, you know, my gender or because of where I grew up or because of how I look or, and I mean, it was, it was very, very, um, difficult I will say yeah and during that time I started to revisit like old essays I wrote and I started to revisit um you know even debates that one moment you know a year ago I was siding with one person and when I would rewatch, I would not necessarily switch but I would literally objectively look and see like they both have great points and I totally disregard the other person because they weren't aligned like politically with me or they weren't aligned whatever way with me you know in this I mean? sort of yeah i do yeah i mean i think i do in, in that sort of um i don't mean cartoonish but like the stereotypical kind of monolith way like if they weren't lining up with like a caricature for you at least whatever your caricature was at the time were you like writing folks off or at, well, where were you at yeah I disregarded their point of view and their and where they're coming from um but it's hard to like listen to a person at that point you you're listening, you're not even actually listening or hearing them, right? You're, you're more listening for the sake of critique and disagreement and pushback, but you're not actually listening to what they have to say, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was listening to the person I was championing for, and I was just like uh, getting through the other person's point of view. Would it be um, helpful, Brittany? I'm sorry to cut. Would it be helpful to frame this within the, because uh, your article, you talk about the, the Ta-Nehisi Coates and Coleman Hughes. Yeah, uh, that's let's, what I was getting at. Let's, let's frame go, it within that. Yeah, yeah. No, let's frame it within um, that. Let's give people uh, maybe explain this situation because a lot of people understand because it was a political moment. It was also an online moment. A lot of people will have seen that, but frame what was going on there at that hearing or the uh, the Senate um, was it yeah. Senator House hearing? They did? Yeah, um, the congressional hearing at Capitol Hill. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So let's frame that for people and then kind of give your take of where you're at and where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. So on Juneteenth of 2019, so that was like June 18th, something like that. Um, Coleman Hughes, a writer for Colette, 
and he has his own podcast. Everyone, I think he's pretty well known. He was like on right. the Forbes 30, under 30. Yeah. And then Tanasi Coates, of course, like the renowned author. He was my professor at NYU. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I love him, okay? He changed my life with writing, just writing in general. Uh, the guy is like a, at the level of like poetic and narrative, he can, he can write. That's for sure. Yeah. He yeah. can write. Yeah. And well, that's a long, that's another, that's another story. Yeah. 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 But, but basically June, 2019, I watched that hearing and I was at NYU and I was of course championing my, my professor. And I was like, yeah, like for reparations, let's get this, you know? And I thought everything he said was so eloquent and, um, truthful you know and and when Coleman spoke um I knew about Coleman but I didn't know that much about him but I knew about him and you know I was calling him racial epithets I won't repeat him now but I was like just completely disregarding him I was like he's not for the he's not for the people he's not down for the cause all this stuff and then before I graduated I would say maybe that same month in December December yeah maybe December November I rewatched that hearing and I was like completely dumbstruck on how I didn't hear Coleman yeah, point. Yeah. Even if it was controversial, things that he was saying with data and statistics, like you can't fight facts. Like you cannot like it, but it, it's true. Mm -hmm. So in the article I put like, I rewatched that, that congressional hearing at Capitol Hill. And even though I still you know, champion and, and, uh, agreed with Coates. I still, I agreed with Coleman. He was controversially truthful. Um, yeah. And then so with, so that's actually kind of where I started the article is with seeing that and how it contrasted to how I was thinking about it months ago. And then I was like, but where has this liberal and conservative thought within the frame of blackness so to speak like where did that stem from and then i mm -hmm. went 50 years back and i was like okay malcolm oh ironically hey, yeah, i yeah. didn't even mean to do this malcolm <laughs> and i X, didn't liberal. i didn't hang up this poster this is always behind me yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. sure okay yeah, yeah that's um, right but yeah so malcolm x uh he was more liberal a black voice and then dr king more conservative black voice so to speak um and then i was like no that wasn't the first people i was like it's mm. way more so i kept going back back and i'm like booker t washington and yeah. web du bois i'm like duh yeah. and so i started to <laughs> even though i was like duh i didn't know everything about them of course i knew enough but i was like no i need to go deeper into um their philosophies into their research on why they believe in what they believe mm -hmm. and when i saw how it just was so stark down the generations it's continuously been liberal and conservative even though it's transitioned with different faces from booker t to martin to whoever yeah it, it's still aligned like that and it's still dividing my community and i was like but the thing is is like each side isn't hearing the other side because they're on the other side but i'm like i'm over here realizing that the binary is arbitrary and keeping us apart from hearing fruitful mm -hmm. voices that we need and then I was thinking like, we keep every 10 years or every 20 years, we're always asking, at least in my community, like, where do we go from here? What do we do for, you know, to seek liberation and freedom? And I'm like, but 
the more I realize how many black voices there are without looking at it from a mind frame of two houses, I'm like, we have thousands of people who are offered up right. point of views that, yeah, maybe we can't, it's not all gonna be a liberal side or conservative side, it's gonna take all of us. Yes. And we've actually subscribed them to be conservative and liberal. Who's to say that that was who they were? That's so, right. yeah, so that's that's how the articles, I start with Booker T, I go with Booker T Washington, um, Du Bois, then I go to when Dr. King, this exact photo, when uh -huh. they met at Capitol Hill for a moment, like six, seven minutes, and then how just meeting each other and them seeing each other's heart for the for those yeah. couple of minutes kind of transitioned how they thought about each other and then they kind of rubbed off on each other. Mm -hmm. Dr. King got a little bit more boastful when he started talking about things like the poor people's campaign and then Malcolm mm -hmm. X got a little bit more softer when he was addressing people that didn't look like him. And instead of calling, you know, each other names, so to speak, um, they started to regard each other. Like Malcolm X is writing letters to his wife when he, he died, like staying yes. connected. So, and then I bring it down, of course, to uh, Tanasi Coates and Coleman Hughes. But then I, I kind of break away from continually going down the binaries. I'm like, but let's just look at the bigger picture. Look at how many black voices are thinking and how many of them are incredible writers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course they, they read well, obviously, yeah. but how if these things were literal crimes to our ancestors. Yeah. And just look at that, how amazing that is. Like, let's mm -hmm. just pause right there. And how that right there, the fact that our ancestors didn't get the chance to do what we can do now, we should be championing every single black person who mm -hmm. has something to say, even if we don't agree. Right, you're not we, saying we need like to agree with everyone or we yeah. need uniformity. You're like, let's just let everyone talk, right? Everyone yeah. has the right to say what they wanna say. There's a lot of people I, I don't agree with, but the difference is now I don't say you're not black because. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. just say, I don't agree with you and here's why. And I'll still talk to you and we can have an exchange and maybe we both take away something that we're like, dang, like we never would have before if we didn't speak to each other. But I will never say a black person's not black because they don't think the way I think. Yeah. Like it took, yeah. But you've talked about, and you've talked about this, that on the one hand, oh, well, in the, I think you've talked about it in a number of places, but most recently that I'm remembering, you talked about um, Coleman's, I don't want to say challenge, but his offer to like, not even debate, but have a conversation with Ibram X. Kendi. And you, you gave a commentary on that saying one, like they would both probably like Malcolm and Martin, they would actually both probably be better for it, but the public square and experience of that and sort of the, uh, the collaboration that would come from that in the collective listening in and participating in their own way, especially in a digital age, uh, the opportunity there is massive. If, well, and it seems like Coleman's interested, but if someone like Ibram X would actually do it, it would be amazing. And uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's interesting and I wish it would happen. And that's part of why I wanted to talk to you. You're, you are embodying this, Brittany, in some respects. Um, there's, there's not really, there is, and it's a concern of mine. There's sort of like a, at the level of popular culture, let's say, and from whether it's corporations or whatever, but also of books that hit the number one bestsellers and stuff. Um, there's sort of a, and it's not just 
critical race theory is like an overused phrase that most folks don't even necessarily understand, but that that strain has some cash and some like clout and culture right now, the level of popular culture, right? Mm -hmm. But there's not really, uh, I, I don't see like figures like MLK and Malcolm that were, whether they were counterbalances to each other, and I know they were in different contexts and that was part of it too, and different faiths and all the rest, but I don't see like any counterbalances to the sort of strict, um, sort of cookie cutter intersectional view of things. There's sort of that. And then it's like the rest of everything at the popular level. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Like voices like you and others exist, but it's, I don't know. Yeah. At the popular level, it's hard to come by. And maybe I'm actually just talking on my backside because people like Coleman Hughes are super popular, obviously, and, and whatever. So maybe it's sort of a, a false dichotomy, but you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I know what you mean. Like, um, I wish that there were actually one, like maybe, maybe Ibram is the one and like, and unfortunately in some respects, Robin D'Angelo as well in these types, there are figures, um, for that argument inside of things. And Ta-Nehisi Coates would be like a, a better version of sort of one side. If there is two sides, one side of the conversation. Um, but then, yeah, other than maybe Coleman and, and somewhat like Thomas Sowell and others, I guess there are some, but even there, they're not, they're not in the popular culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I think that's true. Like, are you talking about like, and more or less like heterodox? Sure. Yeah, thinkers? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you, would, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you mean that. to be that, but you seem to be that in some ways. I don't You're, mean to be that. But that's what I'm characterizing. I'm just like, you know, I'm not fighting like that. Like, I know exactly what people mean, like an or not, on, an unorthodox viewpoint. So I get it. I'm not going to be like, don't call me that. It's no point. But like, it's true. I That is true. I'll just say that. I think Coleman Hughes is heterodox for sure. Yeah. But people just paint him as conservative because... The conclusions he's come to from what he you know his sources his research and how he gets to it might just happenly be on that side but he isn't mm -hmm. like i'm subscribing to that it just might be but the yeah. thing i want to point out by the yeah. irony of that article going by so like i said like i had in that article or the free thought piece I put those, I put exactly what um, I said about Coleman in there. I sent that in after it was published. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't viral at all, obviously. Like I haven't, I didn't even post it on Twitter yet. Yeah. He read it and he just was like, wow. He was like, this is amazing. And we talked actually on Zoom and he was like, the thing I liked was like, you weren't necessarily, completely switched your mind on me and was like he's the man he's the oh he's the he's truth the yeah 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 he was like the fact that you were just i give him a chance to talk you know what i mean like mm -hmm. he needs to too um he found that more authentic and so he posted on his twitter that's how it went viral i just find that oh. very ironic that the person that i so I'll say figuratively attacked with words, um, or no, literally, I guess, with words, uh, was the one that shared it and yeah. got traction on it. 
and then a lot of people shared it after that and then I got connected with other people um but yeah I think that and and it's something that faith actually plays into that because I felt like how I was thinking before um, whether white black whoever to a degree it started to like challenge my morals to be honest mm -hmm. because like this is a total contradiction to how God me to live like I was going through a lot in grad school that month uh -huh. like that semester I was like it was like faith challenging like it was because I'm like, how am I going to tell or think that someone's not who they are because of how they think or that people, I wasn't really on cancel culture, but let's just say people shouldn't be heard because whatever. But God, you're giving us free will, free, giving us free thought to follow mm -hmm. him and like forgiveness 70 times, like, and I am human. Right. Telling other, I was like, this doesn't, sit well this is not doesn't make any sense so in a way i i didn't beg coleman and wasn't like oh i'm so sorry but in a way i kind of was saying i apologize more or less words mm -hmm. um and and now and we've talked publicly on, on events and stuff and he's really cool yeah so and this this idea what you're talking about it's this is my primary concern with like monolithic thinking is on the one hand, it just seems unhelpful if we want to not be just a tribal people like divided against one another in a myriad of different ways, especially on political lines. So there's a practicality to it. But at the faith level, it sort of robs us of our common humanity when we start um, drilling people down into monoliths, um, either in groups or subgroups or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, however, we want to categorize people. When we start doing monolithic thinking, but also monolithic cataloging of other people, it, uh, it's immediately dehumanizing. Because people, people are way more interesting and way more dynamic than that anyway, right? Um, but the, the Imago Dei, the image of God, right, within each and every one of us, it not only robs of that, but then um, some of the antidote to it, which is so cool, is kind of what you're doing or what you were doing with Coleman and what you're trying to do, I think in general, there's an aspect of like forgiveness first or forgive time 70 times seven, like you said, right? That's a very Christ oriented way of interacting with people that we've wronged or been wronged by. Um, but then also the ethic that MLK gets into and that it was foundational. And it unfortunately is like robbed from him even on MLK day in so many ways. Enemy love was the foundation of his movement, right? His foundation of what he was up to uh for everything to do with like the public demonstrations of civil rights movements they had to like train each other to like not fight back you know to in order to on the one hand love their enemy and love their neighbor but also to expose the evil in that process of just getting uh treated terribly um it puts a microscope on who's the good guy and bad guy in a situation when someone's doing nothing yeah. and getting violence against them so anyway when we do this that kind of stuff, gets, it builds bridges. Oh, you know what I mean? No, no, no. Let's just let's go. Yeah, go, go. Yeah. Oh, I was just just dovetailing really quick off what you said. That gets up so lost with people not realizing like nonviolence training and the thorough training that they did for months and months and months to prepare for protests. And it wasn't because it, it wasn't because um well, I'm not gonna say it wasn't because of just this. It, of course, they didn't want to start violence, 
but it's a natural instinct to want to fight someone that wants to fight you, that hates you, that's spitting on you, that's kicking you, going coughing. They were training themselves to be disciplined, to be nonviolent. And it's just the fact that people thought like, in a weird way, like the civil rights movement, passive, docile, just Christians who just too afraid. No, they were so not afraid that they had to train because they didn't, they needed their emotions to be controlled. And I mean, come on, like that's awesome. Like, yeah, there's like like a- People don't understand how, for the lack of better words, cool that actually is and how that lacks today. I mean, you can see people, like the fact that bias is highly regarded. It's like, how can you not see how that was something to really look at? Yeah. And the fact that they can pull themselves to do what they did and then get everything done that they strive for. Not, it wasn't automatic and it wasn't like right then. Took a lot of time, but But that's the the commitment going in all the way back to like, like you talked about. I mean, I'm not saying like Du Bois had lots of good criticisms from a sociological perspective and stuff, but all the way back to like Booker T, it's like he understood at least his perspective was this is going to be a slow go and like it's it's going to take some like discipline and it's going to be it's going to be hard it's going to be really hard and it's going to be a slow process almost like um so like christ in the gospels right he talks about the uh the mustard seed idea the kingdom of god's like a mustard seed and it's going to be this slow growing thing that turns into the biggest tree slash bush or whatever and the birds of every nation will make their home in it and all of this stuff and it's like yeah exactly and it's going to be slow and so when Christ talks about, that's a political statement, the kingdom of God, it is a political statement, but he wasn't saying, you guys just need to become like Christian emperors and Christian like Caesars and stuff. You need to do that and, and just get within the system and work it out. He's like, no, it's going to be a slow grinding process. You are going to win your enemies over with a cross-shaped, other-oriented love, and it'll change society and it'll be slow. But before you know it, you'll have this, this whole different way of being, right? That doesn't fit within the frames of the politics of the day, no matter what the day is, right? And I'm not saying it has yeah. nothing to do with politics, but it it's not in the the either or of our current political way. There's sort of a third way, which is this this gospel oriented way or this enemy love way or whatever we want to call it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Go okay. ahead. Yeah, with Du Bois and Booker T, I think like they both were right. And I think Booker T with his notion of um, not being for artificial forcing, which meant, which would be like a CRT program mm-hmm. back then, yeah. like not mandating people to love each other. But I think Du Bois was less about that and more about like policies and forcefully pushing policies for Black people that I feel is definitely necessary, especially like in the late 1800s. For sure. 18, you know, so um, I think both of them at once, both of those thought processes and philosophies were needed, but now more so with Booker T. Washington's um, notion of artificial forcing, or I mean, on in a personal level, that's where I really agree. Like, I don't ever want a law to be mandated. And I'll, necess- well, I'll just say, I don't necessarily think this is what's happening, but I don't want a law mandated to say, you have to love Brittany because she's black, because that's gonna one, make me feel like a child and, and it's infantilizing. And two, you'll never know if someone likes you or not, because it's like, yeah. do you like me or do you, it's a law telling you. You, you got to, yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's the idea of changing hearts and minds. And I'm not saying 
that there isn't some parallel or tandem, like there's no policies that could ever exist. It's like, obviously you're bringing up a good point. Like it's not a total either or, right? And that's what I loved. Um, you were mentioning it. I'm, I may be mixing up who is writing who. Uh, as I remember it, uh, Martin wrote Malcolm's wife after he passed or whatever. Uh, anyway, wrote his wife. And I share this on too many of my interviews, so people are probably annoyed, but it was so cool. Uh, and you know this, but for anyone listening, it's he, he wrote and said, look, we, we obviously, he was consoling her on the one hand for a loss, obviously. Um, and maybe because he knew the letter would be public, but also just to encourage her and like the impact of her husband as well. He was like, now, you know, that your husband and I, we disagreed on tactics. Like we disagreed on the how, as far as this problem goes of racial tension and relations and all the rest, but we absolutely had our finger on the same problem. And I think, and he said something like, I think he probably would have moved closer to me and I would have moved closer to him had we had more years to go at this and more 100%. Capitol Hill meetings. And it's like this kind of thing. It's like, we not only are we like, we're essentially de-incentivized to do that today, in my opinion, because we have a, there's a, a fear of forgiving, apologizing, et cetera, because that's like an admission of guilt in either direction. This is a left, right thing, right? Yeah. For sure. Everyone's playing the same game. No one wants to forgive and no one wants to offer forgiveness um, or apologize, excuse me, either one, um, because that's sort of, whether it's an admission of guilt, but it's it's sort of a, I don't know, it's a, it's a loss, you know? So we're kind of like just fighting battles, but not really looking at the big picture, you know? And I actually found that I feel that, okay, so I'm not going to out anyone, but I, I'll just say what I've seen and then anecdotal evidence of this, I believe that a lot of people at, on the top of these movements or these sides that are heading them, um, whether on a national level or just local, like deep down, they, they actually do wanna talk. Um, not all of them, but I know some people that do. And I know some people that, um, you know, that might be very, 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 very liberal and might be very against the people that I'm like, let's listen to them. And let's, let's, even if you don't um, want to take everything from them, like they might have one thought for you. Like mm -hmm. they're just completely vehemently against those people. Therefore, they might not like share an article I wrote about that person that they're in, but then they'll write me a personal DM and be like, yo, that hit or yo, that was good. Or like, Right. this is what we need keep going but they won't publicly say it because it's not like they don't agree but their base will be like yo what are you doing and now mm -hmm. that everything's on social media it is i think harder for these people to just have organic conversations with people they'll do it in the dms or on the zoom where no one sees but where it needs to happen in a public sphere they won't do it because they feel like their their base will call them a traitor um, and that's something they're not willing to give up, go through. I don't know. Um, but I think a lot, social media is a gift and a curse. Yeah. Because the fact that you even said like, like that letter that he was, or the letters he was writing to Greta, no one would have ever known unless they made it known. Now it's like, people are afraid to even DM. You never know. They are, are going to screenshot this and That's everyone's right. going to know. Like, so I think social media plays a part in why people um, 
won't have these conversations. And I've said this about Imbram X. Kindy. I do not hate him. I do not despise him. I am against a lot of what he says in regards to race, but, or what needs to be done with race. Right, right. Um, yes, I want to make sure. I don't think he's wrong about racism. I think he's mm. wrong about how to go about it's the how, yeah, the problem, yeah, the how. So, mm-hmm. but I think I really think that, and I don't, and this is not patronizing or condescending. I kind of feel like he's thirty-eight. Um, you know, he's he's been given all these awards. He's he's ahead of this anti-racist movement. He's the the man, so to speak. Could you imagine if he changed his mind on how he thought? Like. Yeah. I don't even think, I think it's, he's in over his head. I think maybe this is above him now. I think even deep down, I think part of me thinks 20, 30% of me thinks that that's one reason why he won't debate because I think he knows it can't stand. Yeah. Like, I think he knows, like, I can't debate Coleman or John McWhorter. I don't, I don't even know, like, if he fully believes everything he says i think he might think he's a mouthpiece now because there's money you know at the base of his feet and there's like not to say he's doing it all for money but i think you know what i'm saying no i do like that i mean and that's that's always going to be tangled up with any of us i mean even if any of us were in his shoes like that would be a factor the the fame plus the money plus the things but also like if he's you know more of an honest actor or whatever which i don't know him and, and neither of us do so he, we don't know his mind right but yeah. like, honestly if he is more of an honest actor there is a tension too of like well if i just not just change my mind if i nuance a little bit on this the movement will move on to someone else and it's kind of just oh and maybe the whole moment will be over right and it'll be a whole different thing that's like the thing for popular culture so it's like there is a tension of like I don't know, making a sacrifice there or whatever, you know, um, and that's hard. That's super hard. And so I don't want to write, I guess if, if we were, any of us were in his shoes, there would be a tension there that you're describing. Um, but I still think the right thing to do would be to do oh, what yeah. you're doing and what others are doing where it's like, yeah. Hey, look, I am not a, a cookie cutter of anything. Like I have some overlapping thoughts with lots of people, you know, and, and whatever, but I'm not a, a monolith, right? Like we talked about before. Yeah. And, um, man, that I, would be actually, I asked that question to him via Zoom. He was on a, I was watching a um, lecture he was giving and I specifically wanted to watch it because Cornell West was on the panel and I love him. Mm-hmm. So I was watching that and they had a Q&A and I asked him a question virtually. And I just said, you know, I know Coleman Hughes, this is months ago, months ago. But I was like, I know Coleman Hughes, you know, invite you to, do a public conversation, um, would you consider it? I think it'd be great for two black intellectuals to debate, um, especially for this black generation uh, to see something like this because, you know, they aren't gonna see like, I mean, you know, you two, they can see it. I'm, I'm Malcolm X debating with whoever, or James Baldwin debating yeah. with William Buckley or, but like to see this now, like two prominent voices, I think this would be great for them. And also for you guys to exchange ideas and just thoughts. Um, and then he said what he had to say. I think everyone knows. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people want them to debate because they want Kendi to be like demolished. 
I just want to see it because it needs to be done. Yes. Like I feel like, I feel like if you're a public intellectual, you have, I don't even, yes, you kind of have to. It's a responsibility there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think so. Yeah. And so, and not just like a personal responsibility. So uh, this gets into something you were talking about before. And I know you've given at least one, but I think you've given a couple of different commentaries on Jordan Peterson. But a cool point that he brings up um, along with Jonathan Haidt is these ideas around like essentially the necessity of people that are more, and I love this too, to unpack this for a second, because it, it sort of takes away from the, uh, the tribal tendencies or the sort of uh, moralizing too much of people's natural affinities and natural leanings. Uh, there are people that down to just their, not their nurture, down to their nature, are more naturally conservative and more naturally open to new experiences. Let's just say that. We're not even going to politicize it. We won't even say liberal. They're just open to new experiences in ways that other people aren't. And then those people form what we might call common sense or common sense to them. And then they start becoming, as they enter into an age and uh, an appropriateness to get into politics or whatever, they land conservative or they land liberal or left, right? And so that happens. Uh, but all, both of those people, you've talked about this, and I, that's why I bring up Jordan. I think you talked about it, that Jordan helped you uh, appreciate this even more, that those two need each other. They aren't just like, oh, like everyone, like we talked about earlier, the common humanity, like that's important. But those two actually make each other better. They offset each other's differences. Like Malcolm and Martin, had they got to be around each other more, but even at a distance, even a little bit, they made each other better. They really did. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is what happens. You can't run a business with just entrepreneurs. Uh, you need people that won't think outside of the box when they're doing the accounting. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, and the yeah. same goes for uh, just being human. We need people that can think outside of the box and be more creative. And then we need people that are like, whoa, there's boundaries and fences here for a reason. Like, let's not just like, let's not take the lines out of the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, you need both. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because... The answer isn't all like a conservative solution or a liberal solution. And when no. you broke that out, broke that down, Jordan, like I was like, that makes perfect sense. It's like when he broke it down, like personalities, like just people might be liberal, more liberal in personality, more open or conservative in personality. But he's like, and that's the point of like political dialogue for us to see what needs to be done like right now or how much, you know? Yes. And I was like, how that's so profound, but it's like duh everyone like hello <laughs> but yeah but it's just culture and society has polarized it to be you have to choose so and it's funny like i i know a lot of people on the left that are way more conservative than people on the other side and vice versa but people just feel like they have to choose and they can't leave and but then people want to talk about you know um well, I'll just, I'll just go over on this side. So I know there's a lot of, there's people on the right that do want to talk about, um, it's more about diversity of thought and not really sure. diversity of skin. So I do find that with some of these people, like a contradiction, I'm like, then why is it you can't be open to hear liberal ideas? Right. If it's about not skin, it's about ideas. And I just think now, like, what's the harm of just listening to someone? Like, are you afraid yeah. that your ideas and your minds be corrupted just by one conversation? 
Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't understand why people are so afraid of it or turned off by it. I get, like, people are annoyed by the other side or they just are, like, completely disagree with them. But when do people get tired, though? Like, yeah, I've been tired. Like, and I'm tired of that whole, like, holding a weight where I'm, like, I have to do, be on this or this. Like, no, like. It's exhausting, isn't it? No. Yeah. Everyone has to, everyone's tired. Yeah, that's why we erupt the way we do when little mm-hmm. things happen. Everyone's tired. I think part of it is exhaustion, Brittany, like you're talking about, and and I also think um, I'll try and like be clear when I say this, like, but I I think like how old are you? Sorry, you're like 31. 20, 31. Okay, okay. I was say, no, no, I was gonna say twenty nine. I'm sorry. I thought oh, no, I was 31. trying to gauge your like college years and okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're like the same age, but like. When I talked, I, I've been having, I've been randomly asking peers of mine uh, if they've, guys and gals, like, have you ever been in a fist fight before? Not because I think fist fights are a good idea, um, but a lot of my peers have not, like guys and gals both, right? And, and I'm not saying that would be a good thing, but I do think on the one hand, there's exhaustion going on. And on the other hand, like that, the, the idea of there is such a thing as like, what we could categorize as privilege. I don't think the intersectional version of that is quite right, but there is something like we live in a, a very unique time and space. Like you were talking about, like the fact that literacy exists, but not just exists, like it exists globally. Like that's been impacted by the printing press. It's been impacted by civil rights. It's been impacted by so many things. Um, the world has gotten better in a lot of different metrics and people haven't experienced a lot. This is where I'm trying to be clear. People are experiencing hardship, but the hardship is uh, contextual. It's, it's relevant to the time that we live in. And I do think that's why sometimes you get an outsized response to what feels like the way I, and this sounds pejorative, but the way I keep framing it is it's like when you see a kid lose their balloon or something and they lose their freaking mind, right? So go, are you basically saying people have gotten, this culture has gotten soft? In some ways. And, and I, do think I think you that, combine yes. that with exhaustion. <laughs> uh, at the same time, it's, it's, it's kind of volcanic. Like you said, it erupts, you know? Um, and that's what you mean by people not been punched. They haven't been, they haven't faced something hard. Cause I think, I really think you face something hard, like, and that's like sort of a simplistic version, but you face something yeah. hard. You now have like a, a sort of mental range for hard and not hard, if that makes sense. Right. And, and so, yeah, that's exactly. Okay. So I, this is actually something I haven't talked. Uh, I don't know if I've talked about this. Actually, I did talk about this on podcast, but it didn't really, they weren't talking about race. They're talking about um, rite of passage, actually. Okay. But anyway, um, and that's where I was talking about my faith. But yes, I think that my faith and why I believe is because of the life events that's happened in my life where I have gone through hard things. Yeah. So I'll just like sum it up. So seven years, some seven years sober. So I used to be an alcoholic and I never thought in a million years I would ever be sober. No one ever, no one that knew me thought I'd be sober. They were like, yeah. she's going to die this way. Good luck. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when I see childhood friends or people that I, that knew me when I was that way, they still are dumbfounded. And seven years later, they're still like, I can't believe, like, they're like, more so seeing what's happening with me now they're just like 
it's amazing how, you know, you, your life has transformed. And then people now that know me could never imagine me even drinking, which I think is great. Um, but I think because I've been through, not that I'm, not, and this is oftentimes why I don't talk about it because it sounds like I've been through some, <laughs> but like, it's not an anomaly. There's a lot of people that's been through addiction, but with me, just how I never thought I'd ever be sober and the fact that it's been seven years and other things I've been through um, that can only be explained by God. Like yeah. there is no explanation. And this was during a time where I was not in a church at all, at all. No one even <laughs> knew I was a Christian. That's pretty sad. Um, but, and then at 24, I just made up my a logical, it was mm -hmm. an emotional decision because every other time it was like, oh God, some bad happens. Oh God, I love you, help me. This was like logical. Do you want to die mm -hmm. in your third by by thirty? And I was like, no. And I'm like, I have to stop drinking, and that means I have to stop going out with my friends. I have to cut everyone off. I have to cut like my life has to completely change. I can't like do a little bit of something to hope for a big change. So that's when I changed everything, got rid of everyone, and then I read the Bible. Wake up, pray, read the Bible. Wake up, pray. And I read it like in eight months and then just started following God with a real, for the first time, really had a relationship with God at 24. And then all of this, and then NYU happened, well, BLM happens and then NYU happens. And then all of this stuff has happened. And I know it's because of God, like these conversations with these people, mm -hmm. I know this is meant to be because Sometimes I don't, it's not like I don't want to have the conversations, but I feel like I'm, it's going to be exhausting because I'm like, I'm talking to this person. I know their base is going to problem. I'm going to be flooded with all these comments. Even my YouTube channel, it's, it's, it's polarizing because I am heterodox, right? So I yeah, have yeah. all types of people come on. So I'm getting all types of people like in the comment sections, talking with each other. And it can be great, actually. Sometimes it's not, and then sometimes they're like, oh, what? you like Ta-Nehisi Coates, but I thought you liked Jordan. It's like, yo, bro, chill. <laughs> but like, now I'm it's kind of like, I think God has helped for that really, I'll read comments and laugh now, because it's kind of like, these aren't real. Like, these aren't real, just yeah. chill. But I feel like all of this and everything that I have gone through, it's just, was meant to be, and it needed to be, I had to go through those hard times to be able to take on what I'm taking on now. Yes. Like, I think I crumble very quickly if I didn't go through hard stuff. So exactly what you're saying, like people are, will say, oh, this is so hard. And I'm thinking, this isn't hard. Right, this right. It's really not hard. I'll whisper it to myself because, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, this isn't hard. This is like, I'll tell you hard, but. Yeah, I, unfortunately, that's what I do see. I see, cult, like, the generation beneath me, for sure. Mm -hmm. And in general, like, ours and ours as well, you know, like, yeah, basically everyone who's, everyone who's online, you know, and then, and below us, right? Everyone mm -hmm. who's been online most of their life or all of their life for the folks behind us, it's, it's a thing. I, uh, I, different from your situation, I was, I was a pastor at the time, um, but I, 
I, I sort of make some commitments at the beginning of any given year of like, here's some, some ways and some things I'm going to be praying for this year. And uh, this was at the beginning of 2019. I decided uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have these three like physical elements on my bookshelf, like physical things that I'll use to kind of spark prayer for different things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was using those each morning. And the very first one I was doing, Brittany, was this, uh, are you familiar with like the idea of memento mori, uh, the stoic idea? Okay. So long story short, it means like to meditate on or think about your mortality or your death. Right. So um, the idea is that you would like sit there and like, not just think like, Hey, I might die someday. And so similar to what you were saying, like, do you want to die? You know, mm -hmm. you, you go all the way there. You're like, okay, if I died today, who would be at my funeral? Like what kind of unreconciled business do I have out there? and all the rest. And you really go all the way down to thinking about how you die as well, because you got to make it real, right? And then what's great is at the end of that process, you like take a deep breath and go, okay, but I'm not dead. So what do I do? Like, what do I do to like, kind of whether get right with my cousin or like do whatever, right? Um, pay back some debt. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, but how do I start getting right with the world and people to change that scene, right? So you do that. I mean, I was doing it daily. And uh, I'm at the time I was like 30 years old. And so like the only things you can think about dying from are car accidents and cancer, really. I don't know what else you got, you know? That's um, it. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, at least for me and the age we're living and all the rest, that's what I was coming down to. Anyway, when you get to the fall of 2019, um, I had some like lower gut pain and back pain and all the rest. And I was supposed to preach the next day. And I was like, man, this, this is getting like worse and worse. I went to the hospital that night and uh, long story short, they called me like, Hey, I'm not your specialist. I'm not allowed to say anything, but we think you have testicular cancer and you're going to get a call from someone tomorrow. And uh, the next day I get a call and they're like, can you come in for surgery the next day? It was like thing after wow. thing after thing. And uh, I'm not trying to be like a, I try to, like you were trying to like, you try to talk about this and be like uh, as honest as you can and not be a tough guy or whatever. But I wasn't like freaking out, um, even the way others around me maybe were, because I, I really felt like I've already played this game before. Like, I already thought about this. You know what I mean? I've, I'm prepared. Like, I know what I'm going into. Um, and I, I think even if folks don't have like a harsh experience, you can mentally train yourself for that moment. You know what I mean? And if you don't, the moment will eat you alive, I think. Yeah. Um, and you might not come out like you. Um, able to make that good like right decision but if people do that kind of mental fortitude and training i think you can come out on the other side and it gets right back to what we we're talking about with dr king and training for how do we engage if there is a culture war happening i don't love that phrase but if there is a culture war happening how do we engage in a way that's thoughtful nuanced and actually helps solve problems instead of just playing in the side of a problem mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we're gonna have to do some training and some mental fortitude to get there because this is another point Peterson makes, and I don't totally agree with his interpretation, but I think the logic is sound. He talks about mm -hmm. at the, on the gospel or the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels. He talks about the idea of blessed are the peace, peacemakers and, and all the rest. And he goes, well, what's, what's good about being a peacemaker? And the, he frames it, and I think this is helpful. He says a peacemaker is someone who has a sword and knows how to use it and then chooses to keep it sheathed, right? Because what's impressive about someone who doesn't know how to use a sword, doesn't own a sword, and also doesn't cut people? It's like, there's nothing impressive about that. There's just nothing. You know? You're not dangerous. But like you were saying earlier, like the natural reaction to someone sniping at you online or actually doing something physical to you in, in the real, it's like 
you want to fight back. Like that's, that's super natural, natural. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but you have to kind of create a mental agility to get around that, not get around it, but to go through it with, you have to be brave. I mean, cause I, I want to give you like the last word. I'm kind of quit rambling here, but man, the, uh, <laughs> this is what I keep telling folks like, like you and others, like right now, especially in our day and age, you're going to be hated by a group of people, no matter what you do, like, cause if things are so tribal and so polarized and so tense right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so if you're going to be hated, no matter what, like whether you're going to be hated because you pick one side of the culture war or whatever, or alternatively, you could do what you're doing and you take this kind of nuanced route. People might call it heterodox. I don't love the phrase either, but you take this nuanced route, you do what you're doing and yeah, you're going to get some hate, but it's like, I'd rather be hated for trying to love everybody than hated for playing some stupid game that doesn't actually mm-hmm. do anything in the big picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm no longer in the game. I'm, the, I'm on the outskirts of this game, but <laughs> what you said is literally what I had to do a process I was doing well not I still do it's not like I did but I was more conscious of it and I was doing it more consistently for months and months was to when you know God says you know you know love your enemy or love your neighbor and what that actually means and that's how I come into the conversations with I know that we're coming into this conversation I know we don't agree like we both know I just have to humanize them as much as possible and Mm -hmm. almost see myself in them as much as possible. Like, even if I'm like, I don't understand how they think this way, agree with this idea or this person, but the way that they have this, such an attack, I believe it. And the way I have this attachment of how I believe things, we have that same thing it's the same it might be the attachments on that thing are different but they believe the way I believe about the thing Mm -hmm. and yeah and about the source so I I think I remember Jordan talking about that and it's like you know in Karate Kid you know it's like Kung Fu like you you train for it but you don't go around just beating people up (laughs) you just have you know you can take care of yourself right and you that's why you move in the world with confidence and you know mr miyagi sure small but he 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 got it like yeah he didn't have to go around beating on people because he was confident in what he could do and his capabilities and if danger came and he had fight he could right but he wasn't just gonna fight just to fight and i think that is what we need and it does take discipline though it's it is like the classes Mm -hmm. with Dr. King. It takes such discipline not to respond to the comments, not to engage with people that are calling me racial epithets or saying this or this or this. It takes, it's harder to laugh it off. It's harder to just be like, Lord, they know not what, like, and just be like, yeah, even, and, or, or write it out on a piece of paper, what you want to say, or just don't, I just know the repercussions of saying it. And that, that is, ultimately, that is not my mission and, and playing into that is nothing for me. Yeah. And it contradicts everything I'm saying. And even though it's very human to have those feelings, um, yeah, it's, it takes a kind of a mental and emotional 
training be like defiant looking at people as human no matter what even if they don't even deserve it yes the sense doing it anyway if god loves them and can do it it does it for everyone and how people will despise him and he so loves them it's like who am i not to just sit down for an hour to talk to someone even if they make me so mad oh well yeah get over it Brittany that's what I think oh that's I mean, so yeah, good yeah it's 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 not easy yes but with you can do things to God that's right. so that's right that's a good word and and I want to encourage you as we go because you are well, and we talked about right now, you can't do anything online or become a public figure. The one there's responsibility that comes with that, which you have taken on that responsibility in a good, healthy way. So good on you. Um, but also, um, I'm so encouraged by watching you, Brittany, because the uh, the opportunity once you get a little bit of online clout is to become sort of a reactionary whatever, because it's a pretty quick way to climb the ladder, right? And uh, what you're doing, it's so cool. Um, and you're not doing it in a Bible thumper obnoxious way. Um, but when you do that, when you love an enemy, um, even even something as Christ talks about turning the other cheek, like an actual violent moment, but just sitting down with someone, you know, you disagree with them, you know, they're going to bother the mess out of you doing that kind of stuff. What's so cool is Christ is living through you, which is so neat. And you're doing it in some really interesting spaces. And so I'm glad that you're there and I'm glad that he's working through you there. It's really, really encouraging. So thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, keep doing it too. That would be good, right? Pray for me. <laughs> I will. I will absolutely. Well, um, I want to thank you again for spending time with me today, uh, spending time with my audience. Uh, there's so much more we could have talked about, but this was an awesome conversation, Brittany. Really, it really was. good. I enjoyed it, and many more to come. I'm sure. So. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. All right. Well, follow Brittany. We'll get all of your show notes in the bottom. People should follow you on Twitter. Is that good? Yeah, Twitter. You'll find all my social media if you follow me there. Great. Because yeah, all your articles are linked there, your YouTube, all of it. So mm -hmm. um, all right, Brittany, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right. Appreciate later. It. Bye. Bye.